addition to the feast day of all saints, uh, this weekend is, uh, begins National Vocation Awareness Week, and the bishop has asked all the priests to dredge up memories of the past of why they said yes to the Lord and, and got ordained and got stuck. I grew up in Chester, in St. Anne's Parish, in a Catholic household. Most of my friends were not Catholic, and those who were, you couldn't quite tell that they were Catholic, or most of the time even Christian. And I think most of my life wasn't particularly focused on things Catholic. So that when I got to the tail end of high school, I had largely forgotten what it means to pray. Uh, I got challenged uh, that summer heading into my senior year and I began to remember what it was like to pray when I was in second and third grade. You know, I remembered that early youthful zeal and idealism when you went to confession for the first time or you went to first communion and you knew at least that day that the Lord was real and that he was coming to meet you. And as I began to learn how to pray again, this thing kind of developed in the back of my mind. I want everything. Give me everything. And of course, the first impulse is no, right? Because I, I know what happens when I hand my life over to you. I get weird. I get like those people that surround themselves around the flagpole and hold their Bibles and talk funny. And Lord, I don't want that. So if you're real, I don't want that. But it stuck around. And it began this, for me anyway, this exploration of the faith. There was something, as I learned, about the faith that just wouldn't go away. Uh, the church became more concrete, more real. And if the church becomes more concrete and more real, then the words of Jesus become more concrete and more real. And if he really is the way, the truth, and the life, then it's easier to follow his way than it is to make my own way, to craft my own way. And so, uh, to my mother's horror, uh, I began investigating, well, what does it really mean to give everything away? And so I started hunting down religious orders, and I visited places and would say that, you know, well, maybe I'll go be a Trappist, and that means getting locked in a monastery and never seeing my mother, right? And so my dad said, well, at least go join a place where they make beer or bread or something. <laughs> And in all of that investigation, at the tail end of high school and the early part of college, as I was trying to figure out what it means to really fall in love with the Lord, I never really focused on diocesan priesthood because the image of diocesan priesthood, and for those of you who are a little younger, listen up. The image of diocesan priesthood for me was uh, this old, fat man who couldn't preach well, who always wore egg on his shirt. That was the image. And I remember telling Monsignor Barrett, who's a priest of the diocese that one time, when I was a senior in college, and he just kind of sat back and stared at me. He said, well, I'm not fat and I'm old and I don't normally wear egg in my shirt. And he says, I go out and kind of get a new perspective of what it means to be a diocesan priest. And why was I stuck on that? Because when you investigate the faith and when you discover what the Lord begins to do in your life, you dredge up those images from First Communion. Right? The early idealism of the one who wants to hand everything over. Francis of Assisi, St. Dominic, St. Ignatius of Loyola. You, know, you want to go out to unknown missionary lands and sacrifice your life for the sake of the gospel. All of that was appealing, and most of the time, diocesan priests don't appear 
all that appealing. And so I wanted nothing to do with it. But the itch kind of stayed in the back of my mind. I want everything. I want you to hand over everything. And that's what I thought it meant. You know, you hand yourself over into those vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. That makes sense. But diocesan priesthood, no. Well, as the, my relationship with the Lord and hopefully the church developed and increased, you know, that, that perspective began to shift. And eventually I ran into someone who was in the middle of seminary, actually who said, you know, when you make a decision about a vocation, about a call, particularly to priesthood or religious life, you need to ask yourself where home is. So where is home? I said, well, it's, it's right here. And one of the significant turning points in that invitation from the Lord was when I first ran into Frank Prater. And I've mentioned him before, his prayer cards, his picture at the back there. He was a seminarian for the Diocese of Richmond. He grew up at St. Patrick's in Churchill. He was a Boy Scout. He went to Benedictine. And he died in Rome as a seminary and caring for the sick in the city. And he basically said, I want to give my life. This was his, in his last will and testament. He said, and it was sealed and in his locker, and they found it after he died. He said, I want to give my life for the conversion of non-Catholics in Virginia. And when I read that the first time, all the parts and pieces started to connect together. That longing to hand everything over to the Lord, like Francis, like Dominic, like Ignatius of Loyola, uh, began to fall into place. That offering, that martyrdom, if you will, began to make sense. And he says, you know, the sacred heart never fails those who love him. So when you begin to discover that Jesus and his passion and his sacred heart are real, and he asks you to give everything, you just do it. No matter the consequences. But he never fails. He cares. He invites us forward. And how does all that relate to today? Today we celebrate the Feast of All Saints. And in a sense we celebrate those who've gone before us that are more than we are. And we tend to, in our age, as we mature, we tend to let all that stuff slide. You know, when we're young, we think we can conquer the world, that we're never going to get sick, that we're never going to die, that we can be those saints that we read about when we were in third and fourth grade. But as we age, we leave that behind and get real and get practical, and we begin to compromise. And in many ways in our spiritual life, we begin to get mediocre. Uh, and as I was preparing originally for this weekend, I ran across a Pope Benedict's address when he was in England to the young people in Great Britain. Uh, and it really is a, a beautiful text. Um, so I'll read a chunk of it and how it connects today. He says, it's not often that a Pope or indeed anyone else has the opportunity to speak to the students of all the Catholic schools of England, Wales, and Scotland at the same time. And since I have the chance now, there's something I very much want to say to you. I hope that among those of you listening to me today, there are some of the future saints of the 21st century. What God wants most of all for each one of you is that you should become holy. He loves you <clears throat> much more than you could ever begin to imagine. And he wants the very best for you. And by far the best thing for you is to grow in holiness. Perhaps some of you have never thought about this before. Perhaps some of you think that being a saint is not for you. 
Let me explain what I mean. When we're young, we can usually think of people who, that we look up to, people we admire, people we want to be like. It could be someone we meet in our daily lives that we hold in great esteem. Or it could be someone famous. We live in a celebrity culture, and young people are often encouraged to model themselves on figures from the world of sport or entertainment. My question for you is this. What are the qualities you see in others that you would most like to have yourselves? What kind of person would you really like to be? When I invite you to become saints, I'm asking you not to be content with second best. I'm asking you to pursue one limited goal and ignore all the others. Having money makes it possible to be generous and to do good in the world, but on its own, it's not enough to make us happy. Being highly skilled in some activity or profession is good, but it will not satisfy us unless we aim for something greater still. It might make us famous, but it will not make us happy. Happiness is something we all want, but one of the great tragedies in this world is that so many people never find it, because they look for it in the wrong places. The key to it is very simple. True happiness is to be found in God. We need to have the courage to place our <coughs> deepest hopes in God alone, not in money, not in a career, in worldly success, or in our relationships with others, but in God. Only He can satisfy the deepest needs of our hearts. Not only does God love us with a depth and an intensity that we can scarcely begin to comprehend, but He invites us to respond to that love. You all know what it's like when you, need some, when you meet someone interesting and attractive and you want to be that person's friend. You always hope they will find you interesting and attractive and want to be your friend. God wants your friendship. And once you enter into friendship with God, everything in your life begins to change. As you come to know Him better, you find you want to reflect something of His infinite goodness in your own life. You are attracted to the practice of virtue. You begin to see greed and selfishness and all the other sins for what they really are, destructive and dangerous tendencies that cause deep suffering and do great damage and you want to avoid falling into that trap yourselves. You begin to feel compassion for people in difficulties and you are eager to do something to help them. You want to come to the aid of the poor and the hungry. You want to comfort the sorrowful. You want to be kind and generous. And once these things begin to matter to you, you are well on the way to becoming saints. In all three readings, the focal point is activity. If we want to be saints, if we want to be holy, if we want to be happy, the Lord invites you and me to act. It's not just a mind game. We can't just transport ourselves back to third grade when we wore those little white gloves and little white suits just prior to jumping in the puddles. Right? We have to choose day in and day out to fall in love with the Lord and to love those who are around us, even when they're not deserving of the love that the Lord is asking us to share. But most importantly, we simply go back and relearn how to pray. To choose a relationship with the Lord that's tangible and intimate. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect in a matter of days or a matter of weeks. You know, I handed my life over and thought things were going to change immediately. And I remember my sister coming up to me in college and saying, 
you know, you're doing this whole Christian thing, right? I'm like, yeah, I guess. She says, and so what's the, what's the point? You're, you're supposed to be a saint, right? Yeah. And that means you're supposed to be happy, right? Yeah. She said, well, why are you always so miserable? We're not going to do it perfectly. But the Lord invites us step by step, day after day, to choose him and choose the church. And with him, eventually, in, in a particular kind of humility, discover that he makes us holy. And in the process, don't forget that you have saints and angels interceding for you before the throne of God. So go back to third grade and recollect your patron saints. And, and go back and read the stories and ask them to intercede for you. Ask them to give you that zeal that you once had or maybe you never had. Ask them to work with you on becoming holy. Because in the end, that's what we want. It's either heaven or hell. There are no other choices. Don't aim for purgatory because in the end, you're going to slip and you're going to end up in hell. And the Lord wants you and me with him forever in heaven.